Welcome back to the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast, where we discuss all topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS, no matter in which stage you're in. As mentioned in the summary episode from season one, nine out of 10 startups fail. The early stage is where most companies fail, and one of the most common issues is simply that they run out of cash. This, of course, have related issues like poor product market fit, mismanagement, or simply no market need. A great way to test your viability is to talk to investors. It forces you to think about the potential of your SaaS and early stage investors can of course also help you with avoiding running out of cash with their pre-seed and seed investments. This is what we're going to talk about today. How to secure an early stage investment for your SaaS. We're going to do this with Lotte Geldermans, fellow Dutch person, and she's the portfolio lead at PitchDrive, an early stage VC. They use a data-driven approach to fund early stage companies allowing them to invest in a matter of weeks instead of months. Let's find out what they look at uh, to get your SaaS investment ready. Welcome to the show, Lotte. Thank you. I'm going to ask a really Dutch blunt question. Why should people listen to you today? I've been with Pitchdrive for the last five years almost since the start. We've seen the thousands and thousands of startups come by. I've seen every single idea out there until people prove me wrong, which I love. So we are really touching so many startups, which is super fun. We talk to a lot of them. Right now, I am the portfolio lead. So that means that I coordinate the management and the guidance of our um, existing portfolio startups. And those are up to 40 right now and growing every single month. There's a lot of different new deals coming up and growing like crazy. So yeah, I've seen things on both sides of the spectrum. I've seen a lot of startups apply with different ideas and different stages and see what works and whatnot. And now five years later, we can actually start seeing the first results. Okay, the first assessment that we made and the first startups that we liked, are they actually coming true yes or no and we're learning about that every single day so i think i've seen enough startups uh, to be able to say a little bit about the vc funding there nice nice and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today we're going to start with real basics and then work our way further let's uh, get this out of the way what is the difference between pre-seed and seed investments my personal opinion is that it's also a very subjective thing. Usually what we go by as a pre-seed investment is the very first investment that people raise, which is usually with family, friends and fools, with angels or very early stage VCs like we are. And seed investments is usually the phase where people go more and more into the VC world and step away from the angel composition. That being said, it's still mingles everywhere technically you could add angels in uh, b round but usually this is the the way we do things it's really the first round pre-seed the second round seed round in terms of stages what we see is pre-seed is usually pre-revenue or just a little bit of revenue just a little bit of proving the concepts and seed is really when it's time to take that money and skill like crazy yeah, when we talk about pre-seed, you mentioned pre-revenue. What needs to be in place to actually be ready for an investment? 
So what we're looking for personally is really some type of proof that things are working. So maybe you have two or three first clients, especially if you do enterprise sales, that can be a huge win. It can also be that you have a waiting list of 6,000 people who are really eager to start using it, or you've tested it out with some people. And of course, we do prefer when people also show the intent to pay because it's a very large step between getting free users and getting actually users to pay. That's one thing that we look at, but one way or another show that things are sticking, you found an interesting problem and you really feel, yeah, that problem is is an actual problem that you're not just solving because you want to start a startup, but it's really a problem that sticks with the customer. Makes sense. And then when we move to seed, the big difference is, of course, you have to have paid clients. You already mentioned ready to scale. What are other things which needs to be in place to be considered for a seed investment? Yeah, I think some basic processes. We really want to see, okay, things are under control there. For example, you already thought about some very good pipeline management where your sales channels are doing really well. You have a good pitch. And usually between pre-seed and seed, it's very often... The case that people start pivoting still uh, quite a lot. And of course, after C, that's still very much possible. But we would like to see more of a product market fit there than what we expect to see at pre-seed. Nice. And we are going to talk about product market fit a little bit more later on. I think the last question, and then we really dive into the topic. You mentioned it already. Angels are more often pre-seed. When you go to, to seed, you go more towards VCs. Are there any other differences, in your opinion, between angels and early stage VCs? So generally speaking, I think angels are, they do smaller ticket sizes, right? Because they are individuals and they don't manage a fund. They are often a lot more involved because they only have a couple of investments that they do. So that's a third thing is, for example, if you see, you could have a hundred portfolio companies, so to speak. And for angels, they usually have a limited portfolio and they really focus on building that portfolio. So it's often a little bit more, yeah, they check in a, a little bit more than early stage VCs. Usually they have a larger portfolio. They invest in many more. They also are more flexible, for example, with follow-on rounds. So something to expect with angels is that they usually do not have the money to follow on until, for example, C round, like a B or a C round. Early stage VCs, you see a lot of times it pops up that larger VCs, and that's the biggest names out there, they also have early stage VCs within their sort of group of funds. So they can actually help push those larger stage investments around to follow it up as well. And I think that's also what we're doing at Pitchdrive. We really want to focus on that sort of, I call, always call it angel level support. So we really want to make sure that we're one of the few that actually really acts like an angel, but on a scalable way. So we do all the documentation. We don't need to take that long, uh, which is also something with angels. Usually it just takes a long time. You need to feel it. You need to have that personal connection. It's a bit more subjective. And with VCs, they just have the capability because they have a team to just, and a template to just go and go out and then start a very intense coaching process afterwards. Yeah, I think then it's a really nice combination what you're doing. Because I think to summarize it, I guess for SaaS founders listening, as in decide what you're looking for, like what kind of support you're looking for and what is your long-term plan as well. And then from there, you can decide like what fits best with you, of course, as in what are you looking 100%. for? So don't just look for money. But look behind uh, Smart money. the money as well. 
We call it smart money. I think one last thing for the angels is that usually what could be really beneficial for finding angels is that they can really have an expertise within your industry. So if you, for example, are a B2B SaaS founder within the maritime industry, it's super hard to go through there. And if you have an angel on board or a VC that's specialized, but on these kind of industries, usually I think angels are really nice because they can be an advocate within the industry for your company because they're a shareholder. And as you mentioned, they're personally involved. They have a limited portfolio, so they want you to succeed. And in the end, they invested money. So it's in their, their best interest to make sure that you actually are going to do well. Yeah, exactly. Let's first talk about common mistakes. What is the, I guess, the most common mistakes companies make while trying to secure their first funding? One thing that I see very often is, is valuation, is that people really blow up the valuation from the very start. And that's just super tricky. It feels very nice at the moment. You're like, yeah, I got this piece of a 10 million euro company. It feels very good. But also imagine what VCs are expecting when they dive in. They expect multiples. If you, for example, at seed stage, you raise a 10 million valuation or even pre-seed sometimes, like it does happen, then in the A round, imagine how many people on average expect times five to five times 10, it depends on the VC, on your valuation. A 10 million valuation is doable, a 50 million valuation and even a 100 million valuation. Imagine how hard it is to raise at that valuation. So it's something that, that founders burn themselves on very often. And that's something very tricky. Really think about the long term. Another huge thing that I see very often is that there is not enough co-founder documentation. As a co-founder, as a team, you're practically married. You see each other more than your wives at home. It's a very intense relationship, right? So it's also the last thing you want to think about is, oh, I'm going to put up some contracts and I'm going to put everything together. But it's a very intense journey. Things can happen. Sometimes someone wants to go out. Sometimes someone needs to be pushed out. And one thing is I've seen generally in the industry is really write down very clearly, okay, if something happens, what do we do? It's Usually it works with bad, bad founder, uh, bad lever agreements or good lever agreements. There are a couple of things you can do legally, but really put up those co-founder agreements from the very, very start because it might save you, hopefully not, but it might save you a lot of trouble later on. And it's also something that, that VCs often look for. One other thing, especially for B2B SaaS, is keep your tech in-house as much as possible. So a lot of times tech is being outsourced, which is like there are a lot of locations in the world that are amazing, that are able to provide amazing teams to grow your platform. But if you don't have it in-house, and especially if you don't own your IP, that's something that will really scare away VCs because we really want to see it's literally what your business is, is built on, right? It's the tech. Yeah. So make sure you have it in-house. Make sure you have experts in-house. Make sure you really build that, yeah, build that foundation and build everything else around it. I see. I think this is really good advice. One thing actually for ourselves, as in we just put in documentation in place between me and the co-founders, our philosophy was like, if the company isn't worth that much, and I think we were pretty early or like honest with our valuation, 
So we did not put anything in place, but at one point you definitely have to put things in place, even though we're not actively raising. If something happens, as you mentioned, what's going to be next? So that's really nice to hear. When we talk about uh, getting an investment in, the approach you have is data-driven. What kind of data has to be present uh, and good to be investment ready? Yeah, that's a tough question. We work with startups that are very early on, so often pre-revenue. So that means that financial numbers are not very present so what definitely what we ask is a financial plan so for the upcoming 24 months what do you want to do how do you want to build your startup what are the the kpis basically that you're aiming for what's the projection when do you want to start making revenue where are you going to find your clients who are you going to hire there's a number of things that include there that's something that is projection data that we do really like Apart from that, what I find super, super important is any data that will prove your stickiness. So instead of saying, I have 400 people on the waiting list, say, okay, I have 400 people and they come back to my platform every single day. That's something that triggers me. And I'm like, okay, so they like working with it. And it's not just a single sign-on, but they really enjoy working with it. So those kind of metrics, I know it's a little bit vague still, but it's for me, it's very important that something proves the case that you're building. Apart from that, sure, projections are nice, but projections will always be projections. But yeah, but I think show really that product sticks and then you can do it. Also, same with sales. If you already did some sales or did you, for example, do you have some conversion dates? Okay. If you send out a hundred emails, if 50 people come back to you saying, I want to start tomorrow, that's a super good metric to measure and share those kind of things. So basically on product and sales really show that stickiness, show the interest from startups. That's the most important thing for us to look at from the data perspective. Apart from that, how we work with that data is that we also do, for example, market analysis. So we do that outside of Usually it's built out of the pitch deck. We take a pitch deck that the startup sends us and based on that, we extract the information and we do an entire extensive analysis on it based on internal and external sources. So there's a number of different things that come into play there. So definitely the market size is interesting to add in there. But anyways, for example, we look at the sort of total market analysis. What's the opportunity there? Are you in a super small niche with very large enterprises making it very hard to grow? Or do you have the world to conquer in the upcoming years and you're starting with this one small part of that huge market? Like those kind of things are super interesting to us to see the potential to grow those multiples in the end. Yeah. And, and most companies will have it in their pitch deck. It's often referred as Tom Som. Yes. So definitely, <laughs> but I think now as well, like investors are not going to always trust what you have in the pitch deck. They will do their own marketing analysis. Also that Tem Samsung is always nice to add there. I've seen it very often that people misunderstood it or yeah. they took a sort of not the real market that they're applying to. And I think you have to show understanding of the market in that pitch deck. And this is a really good slide for you to be able to show that understanding of the market. So you don't have to just do the circles and add the temp sam sum there, but also underneath explain what your market is and explain that you really understand who are you talking to. Yeah, so not just circles with big numbers in there, basically. Indeed. And I guess when we look at data, and I think this is maybe even more tough question to ask, but I'm going to ask it. 
what is the biggest impact on the valuation of the company? You mentioned already like valuations are sometimes blown up, right? But what has to be like really good to get a higher valuation for your company? For seed, it's easy. It's the error. That's a very easy one. But as I said, I think now, so we just came out of a sort of bubble, right? Ever since COVID, VCs like are a lot more careful with what they're who they're funding. So they stopped looking just at revenue data, but they started looking at sort of everything around it. So also, for example, the team has become a lot more important is what I've seen. And also the data that we just discussed about the, the conversion showed that stickiness. I think that's the most important for us. We see if there's a sort of machine, if, like you can create a money machine. If you say, okay, the product is sticky and we can reach out. If we do hundred emails, we get 50 back and they want to start tomorrow. And that's worth X, Y, Z. That means there's a money machine. So we know, okay, if we invest 1 million in it, we're going to get a hundred back, so to speak. That's the way that VCs think. And then it'll also push us to like maybe get into a larger valuation. But still, as I said before, and I cannot push this enough, a higher valuation is not always better. So really keep that in mind. It's it's a dream for people. It's something that can drive people crazy. And it's super cool if you have a part of a 20 million company, but also bear in mind the future. And maybe it's better today to dilute a little bit more. I always say it's better to have a small piece of a really good pie and a really big pie then have a really big piece in a pie that's not gonna do as well as we hoped yeah i think the world we're living right now where we i think passed a bubble a bit where the valuations mm -hmm. were super high and now companies have dropped a lot and then people are losing a lot of money along the way yeah, we also have seen, which is interesting, is that people start, started raising more, like really significantly more because they're scared to raise because it's harder to raise. So VCs are laying back, right? They're not saying as quickly, they don't say yes as they did before. People are scared of that. So they start raising more money and higher valuations because they don't want to dilute more. It's an interesting sort of progression that we've seen and it's really built purely out of emotion for both the VC side and the founder side to, yeah, to just be scared and you don't want to spend too much time on funding, to be honest. It's a weird thing maybe for a VC to say, but we're like, no, please don't spend too much time on, on funding because you want to spend your time on building your business, right? Growing a B2B SaaS is tough. We know. This is why we started Redditus. We help you to grow your monthly recurring revenue without high upfront costs. How? By leveraging someone else's network and only giving away a commission when they deliver you a paid client. It's called affiliate marketing. It's already a really cost-effective and scalable revenue channel. We even made it better for you. With Redditus, you can start for free and only start paying us when you generate revenue. Learn more at www.getredditus.com. When we talk about first traction, I think you already mentioned a couple of things. Stickiness, so probably monthly active users maybe. Then you already talked about seed round like AR. You talked about being able to project things at. Is there a money machine? Are there... Any other things you look at and then probably more towards seed round 
traction wise what are the first signs of, of traction for you and, and and where you look at it yeah i think i've mentioned them pretty much all amount of clients maybe the customer acquisition cost is a really good one to add in there for example that's a good one the average deal size is also very interesting and that's a general tip, really make sure that you properly manage your pipeline, meaning create a whatever account, it can be on any CRM and start doing weighted pipelines, meaning that you assign a deal size or a deal amount to a new deal and work with stages and work with probability. So every stage you have higher probability to close, right? If you do a cold email versus if you're already running a pilot, it's a very different probability of converting that weighted pipeline in the end is going to give you so much predictability anyway so that means that back to that money machine if you know i send out 100 emails i get one deal that's worth 1k arr then you know how many emails to send to reach certain kpis and this is what vcs also really love to see okay, we know that predictability, we understand what's in the pipeline, we know the total value, and we know it's just a matter of time until give or take, this will come out and this amount of money comes out. So it's that projecting, supporting those projections hypothesis. That's really nice. I think not all companies use a CRM at the beginning, but I think this is like the best tip you can get, use a CRM. And if you make sure that it's up to date, which is always really tricky, especially early stages, because there's a lot of things going on. You have a lot of hats to wear, but I think it is one of the most important things. And like I sometimes feel doing it as well, but in the end, like always keep up and then make sure you project things, which is just going to help yourself, but then also indeed with raising money here. 100%. And especially also if you hire your first salespeople, which is usually the case between pre-seed and seed, you hire your first maybe one or two sales yeah. sales support people, can be account executives or like whatever seniority that you want them to have. And it's really interesting to maybe even split up those pipelines between what you can do as a founder and what those salespeople can do. Because you as a founder are the biggest advocate because you're... Yeah. That's your life. It's your baby. You need to be able to sell as a founder, right? That's your passion. Yeah. And then a salesperson coming on board, and even if they might be part of an ESOP plan, so they feel like part of the company, they're never going to sell as good as you as a founder. So it's really interesting to see that pipeline based off an, a new salesperson or someone that's not a founder and see how well that works. Because if you become a 200-person SaaS company... You're gonna. You're not gonna do the sales yourself. Maybe you're gonna do some partnerships, but you're not gonna do all the sales yourself. And you need to be able to scale it. And this also really proves the point back to when you start raising and just in general, it's a good lesson to understand because the numbers are always gonna be a little bit lower, even though you don't want the to. It's gonna be like that, but then still, if the numbers are good, even with new people, you have some gold in your hands. Yeah, exactly. And I think you touched up on a lot of things as in if you are going to hire like the conversion rates will be lower and the salary of the salespeople so you can calculate your customer acquisition cost, which you also touched upon. So you can really see is this scalable, which is going to help you to project things and, and basically look for it. really be data driven. And it simply starts with just putting things in the CRM system so you can start measuring things. Yeah, exactly. When we talk about like SaaS companies trying to secure a pre-seed or seed round to keep it a bit in, in that context. Like what kind of process would you recommend them to follow? 
first start gathering your sort of, yeah, we call it a data room and that can be including a pitch deck. Start just together with the founders, sit down, like worst case, lock yourself up somewhere, preferably sunny, <laughs> together right. around the table and really really sit down and work on that because in general it's good for the direction of your company and then start sitting down and crunching the numbers and seeing how are we going to build this business together and who's going to do what and how are we going to build this out in the next coming years out of that you can create a pitch deck but it will also really give you an opportunity to look at okay what are the problems that we have today Based on that, you can start deciding, okay, do we need, for example, do we need an angel that has super focused or a VC that has super focused experience within my industry because we're really struggling with the sales processes there? Or do you say, okay, we found it and we just need money right now and just more general coaching or something like that? Really define for yourself what do we need and also create a plan for the upcoming years financially so look at your cap table and really check okay this is what we have now i want maybe 10 percent. i want to give away to vcs in this round and i want to create a five to ten percent esop plan to be able to hire so it's a sort of holistic approach to really see for the upcoming years where do we want to move towards where do we want to end up even start talking about what's my exit plan and us Europeans really don't like to think about exits. We're like, no, but it's our baby. We can, we're going to work on this forever. No, I think the best thing you can do is really decide for yourself. I'm going to build a business and that's the point at the horizon. And that's the point where I want to sell my business and start a new one. This is what we often see. It's a more of an American approach. As Europeans really don't like thinking about it too much because we don't like bragging. I think as Dutchies are maybe a little bit better on that, but you see all over Europe, it's just a little bit, I call it the European humbleness. Really sit down, crunch out everything, have that plan, have that dot on the horizon, and then start reaching out to VCs or to angels, whatever is the best thing for you. You can find people on investors you can find them on events usually so for example we are also always at the bigger events such as yeah so we have the next web for example in amsterdam or we have web summit or slush like we're pretty much everywhere stand out and be at the drinks instead of reaching out cold because reaching out cold at the events never really works in my opinion cold outreach is a possibility but to be honest, if you have somewhere a way in, even if it's one VC that you know, through a friend of a friend of a friend, talk to them and ask them to do more intros. Because warm intros with, with VCs are so much more likely to get you into the conversation, into their, their pipeline, as opposed to cold outreach because it's just overwhelming for all the VCs. There's a lot of applicants. There's a lot of, and it's hard to be the loudest one in, in the batch. For the prepping, then indeed you start talking to multiple. Usually what we see, even in larger pre-seed rounds, but especially during seed rounds, find a lead. Because once you have that lead investor, a lead investor means that someone really owns that, that a big part of the legal side. They usually define or help define the terms more often. And then other people follow that those terms, basically. And sometimes they even help with fundraising the other ones. If you can find that lead as soon as possible, that's really going to help you put some pressure on it. Otherwise, it can take a long time, right? Really see how much you can do there. And once you find the lead, once you find those other investors, 
fine tune what terms you're always going to negotiate. So find out until what terms do you want to go. And also really up until the end, before the, the day before it's signed, you can still move things around. Look at the ideal mix for you. So choose the right investors. Choose the investors that's going to bring value to you instead of just providing money. Even though you might think you only need some money right now, it's always good to have a good support system. Even if it's just a really good community that's behind a VC, it just really can give that sort of extra 10% to your company. So do your research on those VCs. Even call up portfolio founders. We've had one guy who we funded, I think, one and a half years ago. He called up. We funded, I think, 20 startups at the time. He called up all of them. <laughs> he was like, guys, nice. what is it like to work with Pitch Drive? And like, we really put in all the effort that we can. So luckily, we had some good responses from, the, from those portfolio founders. They were super proud to work with us. But it says a lot because there are also some VCs out there that promise a lot and don't do a lot. So yeah, it's a good sort of due diligence to do on your VC to really fine tune who do you want to have in your cap table. Because it's also a bit of a marriage, right? You're going yeah. to spend a lot of time with them, maybe a lot of rounds, maybe until the exit, you're going to have to take these people along. And every time, every single round there's got to be the question do you want to follow on do you want to exit but there's always going to be because they're shareholders they have something to say in your company and they're in your board and pick them wisely that's my biggest i guess my biggest tip here nice yeah and it's the most co common thing you can do to avoid the common horror stories right so do your own due diligence make sure that you actually check who you're uh, indeed like getting in marriage with because that's always what it is. Yeah. And I think one thing you mentioned as well, as in like, where do you want to exit? What is the valuation you want? Have your exit plan in mind. Would you then recommend only having a number in mind, but also think about, hey, we want our company be, to be purchased by Google, for example, or by HubSpot or by Salesforce. Do you need to have something or is it purely the number a number is always hard to put on it. You can dream about it, but the number is often very hard to put a realistic number on it. The latter one, which you mentioned, so find an, a use case. So I want to have HubSpot buy me in 10 years or in five years. It's super helpful because, okay, and always have plan Bs because they don't acquire every day. So really have those plan Bs and really think about, okay, how can I fit that use case because apart from having to build a business right now someone has to find you interesting enough to acquire you so you would have to fit within their use case within their sort of thesis we call it to acquire and it, it needs to be a sort of add-on yeah it's super important to have that sort of idea in your head on who do you want to yeah have acquire you in the end what type of company doesn't yeah. have to be a name even but Nice. And the other thing you mentioned, which I found interesting as in VCs have a good community, right? Or they have a good network, which can help you. But to get in there, make sure you get intros. So make sure that you actually also build your network before building the network with investors to make it really complicated. But go to indeed events, go to communities where other SaaS founders are. A good event mm -hmm. is, for example, SaaS talk, which, is, which in, is in two weeks when this episode goes live. But there's a lot of communities out there which can connect you with other SaaS founders. By doing that, you also get often real expectations. You can hear real stories and you can talk with others without the judgment as well. So that just allows yeah. you to also 
think a bit broader. And they always give you free tips, which is great. This is the, the best thing you could get is just go out and talk to a lot of people about your idea instead of doing the full pitch deck and people saying a vague, okay, yeah, we'll get back to you in a couple of months. It's okay, you talk to someone over a beer, maybe even get them a little bit drunk and pull all the information <laughs> that you can out of them. Exactly. That's that, that's the best way. Just to make sure that you build up this relationship and you get, have an honest conversation and not just people trying to be nice to you. 100%. Nice. I kept saying pre-seed and seed in, in one sentence, I think, until now. Can you explain to me what happens between pre-seed and seed? Because they're not the same. So what is in between between them? Differentiates between every startup, right? So this is just a more generalistic thing. We usually see between pre-seed and seed, I think sometimes there's a product launch that happens in between. So going from MVP to really launching an actual product, finding that product market fit is one of the biggest things that I see between those stages. So really finding that stickiness, finding, okay, these are the people that like it. Side note on that, I know we love to, to talk about ICPs always. We always advise do not stick to an ICP for the first year. Because you're always going to shift around. You're going to learn. You haven't talked to that many people yet. Maybe your ICP is a agency right now of 20 people, but maybe in a year it can be a construction company of 2000 people. Like it's always, it's okay to change. So don't get stuck too much on an ICP today. One of the bonus tips. <laughs> but yeah, I think usually that product market fit is really important during that time. That first revenue, I usually people get to, to maybe even 1 million ARR plus at seed stage. So really, and that, that's a bit larger. We really see that sort of sales falling, those the first money coming in, maybe the team growing already a little bit between those stages. Pre-seed is often still the founding team plus a little bit here and there it, it matures a little bit that startup and it becomes more than just an idea and two guys in the garage but it becomes more of okay we have a business we know it works now we're gonna use the seed money and really start scaling up yeah and it goes back to what you said at the beginning basic processes shield channels indeed product market fit which is a really good one of course to have and to aim for. Mm -hmm. We are coming to the end and I always like to ask these two questions at the end. So when we talk about funding your SaaS, what kind of advice would you have for SaaS founders in different stages? And then to begin with somebody growing to 10K monthly recurring revenue. I would always say open up shop. So put your sign up button, big fat sign up button at the top of your page and start going out everywhere because you're gonna learn so much you're gonna find out so much from your users talk to your users call the ones and call especially the ones that don't return those are the most interesting ones to learn from because you want to convert those to use it and yeah really start going out there because you're gonna pivot you're gonna change a little bit here and there like we've seen startups change so much from the initial idea just because they opened up shop and they just went out and talked to people and i think like even further stage but especially when growing up to 10k mrr i think that's the most valuable thing you could ever do nice nice and when we pass that stage so we're now at 10k mrr and we're going to grow to 10 million ar which is a, a big growth of course a big step what kind of advice would you give somebody here 
professionalize your pipeline. Like we mentioned before, really professionalize that weighted pipeline, create predictability within your company, find out what sticks, what doesn't, and even more than what it did before, and just start growing like crazy and do things smartly. Also, one tip that I have there is don't hire too quickly. We always say hire when it hurts. So it's very often people say, okay, I just raised money. Yeah, I'm going to hire 20 people. No, start with the core. Hire where it hurts. Play it smartly. Now I'm going to sound like a broken record like everybody else is saying, but we live in that time and age right now that there's a lot of things that can be super easily automated with AI. So really invest more time in that today, setting up those scalable processes more so than scaling a huge team right now because you're going to experience those pains Definitely, if you have all of a sudden a hundred people working for you and you don't know what to do with them, there's a lot of things that come to this, to play on that. Yeah, be a bit careful on that and focus more on the right processes than hiring a lot of people. Exactly. The answer is not always in hire more people, that's for sure. It's indeed the first time we mentioned AI in this podcast, but you can do a lot uh, <laughs> nowadays with with automating things, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, become an expert at prompting and it's going to give you a lot. So it's CEO slash prompting officer or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah it's going to save you so much time, so much money, so much effort in the end. It's just a bit of time investment right now, but it's not even that hard. I always use it also for my podcast to come up with clever questions. So <laughs> final question from today. What is one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago? Oh, that's a very good question. I think the best answer to that is you really don't know shit (laughs) and you need to figure things out together. So I'm coaching a lot of startups and the most important thing is that I learn together with those startups. So I see things in industries that I've never worked in before. I talk to them and I learn about it and I apply it again to other startups. So really you don't know anything and learn together and just think very pragmatically always and just test things out and it's okay to make mistakes and leave each other to leave mistakes and yeah i think that's the biggest learning and also but i wish i had ai (laughs) 10 years ago because that would have made my college experience a lot easier (laughs) we were able to write papers a lot quicker than back then yeah 100 percent nice Thanks again, Lotte, for coming on. You mentioned already, if people want to get investment in from any VC, they need to have a warm intro. So I guess but hereby, now as we're connected, feel free to, to message me if you want an intro to Lotte. But if people want to reach out to you directly, what would be the best way to do? You can always find me on LinkedIn. So Lotte Geldermans, my name will probably be somewhere in the title or the subtitle of the, of the podcast. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Otherwise, you can always... Just go directly to our website, sign up through the form. It's I think it's, it takes you like three minutes to sign up. It's basically all around the pitch deck and mention that you came through the podcast because then we know you're a SaaS founder because there are many different types of types of founders and that you have good taste in what podcast you listen to. So it's always a little bit of a bonus. That's a really good closure. I couldn't do any better. Thank you again <laughs> for coming on, Lotta. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Growing a B2B SaaS. Yoran has been ahead of customer success before founding his own startup. He's experiencing the same journey you are. We hope you've gotten some actionable advice from the show. 
and we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast in the meantime. To find out more and to hook up with us on our social media sites, go to www.getreadytus.com. See you next time on Growing Up B2B Sass.